when we talk about kindness, we spoke about numerous, numerous different elements of kindness. It's important to understand that kindness is learning what is lacking in the other person. It's a very difficult challenge for us to get out of ourselves. We mentioned last week and the week before that we all have this challenge of breaking out of our own skin and getting into the needs of another person. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one thing to empathize, to feel someone else's pain. It's one thing to feel someone else's situation, but to really know what's going on in another person in how, you know, if they're thirsty, if they're hungry, if they're tired, if they're worried, if they're concerned, whatever it is, to really get into the kindness that we can assist another person with in what their true lackings are. So why is it so difficult? It's difficult because we're very familiar and aware with what our own beings are. We know, we know what we need. We know what we are in need of. We know when we're thirsty. We know when we're hungry. We know when we're tired. But is it possible we're just too immersed in our own selves? Right? It's very likely. So let's imagine like this. If we can imagine like this, if I'm thirsty, maybe the person next to me is thirsty. That's the first step, right? If I'm hungry, maybe the person with me is hungry. If I'm feeling a certain way, maybe someone else is feeling a certain way. So that's, I think, step number one is to just think, you know, if I'm, if I'm getting myself a drink, let me ask the person next to me, would you like a drink as well? That's an easy one because you just duplicate what it is that you're doing for yourself. But is that necessarily kindness or is that just I'm not going to be selfish? The next step would be to get beyond myself is that typically I would be thirsty, but I'm not. So let me ask the person next to me, are you thirsty? Right. Or even not even to relate it to myself. I just become more alert to the needs of other people. I become more alert to the needs of other people. Okay. So if we think about the, the idea of of leadership, you know, what was Moshe's leadership? Why did God pick Moshe of all the people, right? Of all the 3.2 million people in Egypt, the Jewish people in Egypt, of all people, God picked Moses. Why did he pick Moses? Because he had this trait called leadership. What is leadership? We think leadership, oh, we're going to have someone who's going to speak such a great orator. We're going to have someone who knows how to turn around the economy. We're going to have someone who's going to be able to fight uh, against terrorism, right? We, we, everyone has a different idea. But what is God's definition of leadership? Vayar b'sivlosam. God picked Moshe because he was able to identify and connect with the pain of the Jewish people. He saw, he went out and he saw his brethren suffering and it heard him. He says, I can't see them in pain, right? I'll give you an example. We can have our differences of opinion when it comes to politics, but and this class is beyond politics, well beyond politics. It transcends politics. But everyone has an opinion whether they go for this president or that president, this candidate, that candidate, they go for this party, that party. What is the bottom line? What is a good leader? In, regardless of political affiliation. Someone who really cares about their constituents, someone who really identifies with their struggles. So whether it's joblessness, the people who don't have jobs, their concern, they want people to have jobs. They want people to have the, 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 the feeling of accomplishment that they earn their own paycheck. They want people to have a dignified salary so that they can come home after a hard week of work and have enough food to put on their table. 
that they want people to be able to afford going on vacation. They want people. That's all part of the the thought that needs to go in and the feeling that needs to go together with leadership. Not to say we're going to boost the economy by making a a, a whatever it is you know what type of plan they come up with, and then they say, well, it didn't really work out, but the money will be funneled to our parties. The money will be funneled to our causes, right? But at the end of the day, the end user doesn't get it. It really is a remarkable thing. I'm, I'm not getting, I really don't want to get into politics, but you know, recently we faced a, a big financial crisis in the world, in the world, not only the United States, the biggest economy in the world, right? So the government put together a package called the uh, stimulus, but one that will be uh, loaning money, not only for giving money to individuals who are below a certain income level, but also loaning money to organizations, nonprofits, and companies that are below 500 employees. And you know what was amazing to me is that every single institution and business that I spoke to actually received those funds. That's a novel idea that the government actually acts upon a resolution. Because we've heard of stimulus packages where there are shovel-ready jobs, and then they're told, oh, well, it wasn't really as shovel ready as we, as, as, as they knew that in advance, right? But there was a trickery involved, right? The trickery involved is we have a certain objective and we're using the people as that pawn. Here we see that people actually received it. And whether you like it or you don't like the president or the package or the decision, at the end of the day, the people who were, it was meant to reach received it. And that's something which is very unique in a federal government. It's something which is very unique in a country of 350 million people, and that many people received and benefited from that package. Whether or not it'll be forgiven, whether or not it won't be forgiven, that's all to be seen later. But at the end of the day, the people who it was meant for actually received it. Again, every single institution I spoke to that filed for it got it. It's amazing. I'm on a group with about another 200 organizations on daily communication, Jewish organizations from all different parts of the world. All of those in the United States received it. It's an amazing thing. It really is an amazing thing. I don't know who drafted it, and I don't know who's responsible for it, but there is leadership behind it. And the reason there's leadership is because they understand the pain, the challenge that the individual people are facing, and they figured out a solution to help the people. That's what Hashem saw in Moshe. Hashem saw in Moshe, not that he's a great orator, we know that he had speech impediments. We know that he wasn't able to speak, right? He had a, he had, he had, a, some say it was a lisp, some say it was a stutter, some say he had, you know, some type of, you know, Lisa's our speech, that our in-house speech therapist here. Maybe she can tell us exactly what Moshe's deficiency was in his speech, but he certainly was not as eloquent as President Obama was. He's a great orator, a great speaker. Again, whether you liked him or you didn't like him is irrelevant, right? There are some, some facts that, that can't be denied. A great speaker. Moshe wasn't, but Moshe was a great leader because Moshe cared about his constituents, right? The, seeing the pain of another person and being able to connect with that pain, even if you can't help. You know, I remember teaching this class, not this specific class, but a, a group of, of students in HSPVA, the High School for Performing and Visual Arts. Uh, this is many years ago, probably 10 or 12 years ago. I don't remember when the Haiti catastrophe was, when there was the whole thing in Haiti. I remember we were thinking over there in, in, the, in the group group setting, we were talking about what can we do? Here we are, who knows how many thousands of miles away from Haiti, right? What can we do for them? Not likely we, that we can do much. 
But you know what we could do? We could feel their pain. We can feel their pain that we can go to sleep one night with a broken heart, crying that people out there, however many miles away from us, don't have a bed to sleep on, who don't have a roof over their head, that we can just feel that pain. That is an act of kindness. To feel someone else's situation. So actually one of the 48 ways that we're going to talk about is going to be greeting people with a smile. And the Mishnah tells us in Perkei Avot, that, have, uh, that you should be having mikabel kol adam Greet every person with a, with a graciousness, with a kindness, with a countenance, with a smile. Greet every person. You know why? Think about it for a second. How would you prefer being greeted by your fellow co-workers? With a frown? Oh, good morning. Right? Or, good morning. It's so great to see you. Right? Which one gives you a better feeling? Of course, the latter. Right? The former gets you sad. It, it, it doesn't brighten your day. It, it makes it gloomy. It makes it miserable. But when, we're, when we have this countenance that we're greeted with, you know what that does? That makes someone day special. That makes someone day bright. That makes someone, I try every morning to greet my children with a smile, with an energy, with, a, with an exuberance, so that their whole day will be energetic. Their whole day will be happy. And the day starts with like, good morning, you know, and we're like, so their day has, has a gloomy day, uh, gloomy a- atmosphere to it. We can change a person's entire life. I want to share with you an amazing story. I don't know if I said the story in this class, but it's worthwhile just to hear the story so that you understand how important it is to greet a person with a smile every day. So this is a true story. I read it in a book, so it's got to be true, right? So there was a guy who would go every, every day to the slaughterhouse, right? He was a shochet, and he would go to the slaughterhouse, and every single morning he would go in with his carpool, he would go, and he would say to the security guard, good morning, and every night he would leave, he'd say, good night, every single morning and evening. One day, the owner of the, the big, uh, what they call the shlachtois, right, the slaughterhouse, where they have you know, hundreds of people coming in and going out every day. The security guard would, would, would see them, make sure it's the people who work there, they'd show their ID, and they'd go in. This individual would come in, he'd say good morning and good evening every time he came and left. The owner was the last one to leave, and he says to him, you can't leave. He says, you can't leave. What do you mean you can't leave? He says, I, I closed the place down. Everything is, is good. He says, we're, we're, we're good. He says, no, you can't leave. There's someone who's still in there. So what are you talking about? There's someone who's still in there. He says, I'm telling you, there's someone still in there. And they search around the whole place and they found that this guy, this shochet, who always said good morning, good evening to the security guard, was locked inside a freezer. By mistake, the freezer door closed and he was not able to open it from inside. And they saved his life. They saved his life. So they asked the security guard, how did you know? He says, because this individual didn't miss a single day of telling me good morning, good, good evening. He says, I looked forward to that good morning and that good evening every day. He was the only one who every single morning didn't miss saying a good morning. And every evening when he left, didn't miss saying good evening. And that ultimately saved his life. Beautiful story about the saving of life. But look how it changed, how it impacted the security guard. Where every day he anticipated, he was excited about that good morning and good evening. That smile that you give to another person, it's so simple, it's free. It's free. 
just to smile, to give show countenance, to show a happiness, to show a joy to another person. The, the life you can change with just a smile. You see someone at the cash register, right? You know how many people went through, put their stuff, their items on the on the on the belt. Uh, hey, put your credit card in. Goodbye. Have a nice day. Goodbye. Good morning. How was your day? I found everything okay. Thank you. How was your day? How many people ask that? People are busy looking at their phone, at their status. People are busy looking at other things. You have another human being in front of you. You have another world right in front of you. Right? God is putting you in front of this world that you can have an impact on it. Right? You can have an impact on another person. That's kindness. Kindness is getting out of my world and opening myself up to someone else's world. What is someone else experiencing right now? What is someone else going through right now? This individual might be going through a crisis at home. They may be facing a challenge at work. They may be, you know what? I can change their day by showing them that smile. And that is our task. That is our job. So what is the difference between kindness and compassion what is the difference between kindness and compassion so we know that kindness is okay kindness is an action related right a speech related it's a something really right what is compassion compassion is thought related right we say we say god feeds us with grace with kindness and with compassion right that means that God also thinks about the right way in which we should we should attain it. You know, what's the feeling if someone tells us, you know, there's a mitzvah of the Torah, by the way. There's a mitzvah we discussed as one of the other classes in, in the Monday night class, in the Muslim Mondays. There's a mitzvah that if someone doesn't want to take a handout because they, they're they're impoverished, they're poor, they're they're needy, right? So so what, well, there's a mitzvah to to give them a, a loan. Now, why are they giving it a loan? Because you don't want the money back. You really want to give it as charity. You say, just take it as a loan. You, you know, I'm not giving you a gift. Give it back whenever you have a chance. Give me the money back. And it's an extra way, an added kindness, so that the person is able to receive it with dignity. You know you'll never get it back. You don't even want it back. But you just say, you know what, take it as a loan so that they you understand how sensitive we are to someone else's feelings, that they should accept it in a way that is dignified. So. We think of Bechain Bechesed of Rachman. Do you know that everything we get from the Almighty is a handout? Everything we get from the Almighty is a handout. What are you talking about? I work for a living. Right? I work hard. Right? But do you know that you didn't need, you didn't have a single client come to you right, mm-hmm. without Hashem's help? Right? Not a single client comes to you without Hashem's help. Right? Yeah, we could put advertising, whether it's Google ads, Yellow Pages, if anybody still does that, right? You put your business card out, you put flyers out, and who's going to say that anyone is going to see it? What's the difference between you and your competitor? And your competitor doesn't get their business, right? How many people advertise in the same exact way, and one has results and one doesn't? One has great results, one has mediocre results. Because it's the hand of Hashem who's guiding it. So we think, look at me. Look at what I've been able to accomplish. But you know what the real truth is? Hashem is standing right behind me and giving you dignity. And look, this is something you accomplished when really it's him making you feel as if you accomplished it. So you feel proud. So you feel good about it. 
So it's not only bechesed, it's not only the kindness, but it's also with rachamim, with compassion. That God says, I'm thinking about the best way it could be presented to this individual so that they accept it with dignity. When we do a favor for someone else, is there a way perhaps that we can do it in, in a more compassionate way? Not only do the act of kindness, but do it with compassion so that now the person can feel dignified. They can feel like it is not something which is taking away their dignity, right? It's not something which is going to, there's so, there so many details in how this can be done properly. To not only give to someone, but to give some, to someone in a way that they feel, ah, they, they're, not, they're not a beggar. They're not a pauper. They're a human being, right? I'm going to hire them, give them, give them a contract, right? Think of that, that contract. Well, what is it? I, I've asked many, many business owners, people I learn with, I say, tell me, what brings customers your way? Honest people will tell you, I have no idea. I've asked them, do you have your orders ready the next, for the next day? No. No idea who's going to come the next day. I come in the morning and there are orders waiting for me. Whether it's in the email, inbox, or whether it's on the, on the fax machine, right? Uh, if people still use that, right? It, it just happens. How does it happen? How does it happen? It doesn't just happen. There's an almighty God, a creator of heaven and earth, all powerful, all capable, who works the world in a mysterious way to make it so that every person feels dignified with the kindness that Hashem gives them. So it's not only b'chein, it's not only with grace, it's not only b'chesed, it's not only with kindness. But it's also barachim, it's also with compassion, in a way that's palatable, in a way that's acceptable for the individual. So there are no two people's needs who are the same. We think, oh, this is the way I do my charity. I want to share with you a great, great Dvar Torah that I heard yesterday. It has to do with giving because it's, it, it, it really is amazing. In this week's Parsha, it says, and you'll give to the Kohen, and this shall be your portion. You shall give to the Kohen, and this shall be your portion. It's an amazing story that's told about a great Jewish businessman who became very close to the king in Poland. And the king loved this, this advisor, this Jewish advisor that he had. But uh, the king's other advisors weren't so happy that the Jew had such access to the king. So they, they came up with a scheme, and they said to the king, you know, this Jewish guy is really cheating you. He's taking a lot of, of, your, of your money. He's hiding it, and he's not disclosing it to you. I just, we just want you to know that he's cheating you. And the king didn't know, but he had a lot of pressure from all of these advisors. So he decided he's going to audit this Jew. So he asked the Jew, tell me, what do you have? And the Jew told him, instead of telling him he had, you know, 10 million, he says, I have 1 million. He only told him one-tenth of what he had. The king does the audit, and he sees to him, you lied. You lied, right? And he throws him into a prison. And then the king has a little bit of, of, of thought. One second, why did he tell me that he had 1 million when he really had 10 million? So he calls him out of the prison, out of the dungeon, and he says to him, I don't understand. You had 10 million. Why did you just tell me you had 10 million? He says, because the Torah tells us that what you give in charity is what you really have. And I am very careful to give 10% charity. So I had 10 million, but I looked in my book what I had given away, and I'd given away 10%, and 
And that's what I really have. The other nine, that could be taken away. But what I gave, the mitzvahs I've done, that's my possession. That's what I really have. The king was, was elated by this idea, and he restored him to his position, obviously, and gave him much more than he had previously had as a reward for, the, for, for this idea to understand it really is a true idea. The good deeds that we do are really ours. The potential that we have is not ours unless we utilize it. Understand? So if a person has, think about it like this. If a person has a hundred billion, trillion, quadrillion dollars in the bank, right? What does that do for the person? Nothing. But if a person actually does good deeds with that, that's an act that he actually owns. That he actually owns. It's such an important idea that what we actually own are the deeds we actually do, right? What we have as potential is potential. It's energy. But if we don't utilize that energy for something, then it, it, it's just, it's, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have any, any, any life. My great-grandfather, blessed memory, all his life, even when he was in the ghettos, even when he was being uh, taken to be killed, okay? He always had a, a joy, a great joy, and the ability to greet every single person with a smile and with a joy, right? Don't be selective to whom you're, you're kind. Don't be selective to who you're friendly to. A friend and an acquaintance, them I'll greet nicely, but a stranger, I won't greet them nicely. No, on the contrary. Every person, there was a story told about Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, one of the great American sages, right? He was an American, he was from Europe, but he came to the United States and it really was an amazing thing. He was once driving in the car with, I'm not going to say, I heard the story from the individual who he was driving in the car with. I'll tell you, his name was Rabbi Beryl Wine. And Rabbi Beryl Wine was a great historian, a great Torah sage. He lives now in Jerusalem. He retired from the yeshiva that he built in uh, Muncie, New York. He actually lived back to back from my house where I grew up in Muncie. He said the following, I believe it was him who said the following story. He was once driving Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky from, I guess, to and from someplace. And he, you know, used to pay tolls. He used to, now we have the magnets, right? We have the easy toll or the easy tag or the easy pass if you're from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland. Either way, so that whole uh, Northeast, right? So they have one tag and every different uh, region has a different tag. But it used to be that you used to go to a toll booth and you used to pay a, a toll person, right? And he paid the toll person and went. So Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky reprimanded him and he said to him, you didn't say good morning, good afternoon, good evening, how are you, something. Just imagine how many people go through this toll booth and nobody says a word to the individual. He doesn't exist. Right? This person has a wife or a husband. This person has children. This person has parents. This person has struggles. This person has a life. This person should also be greeted. Not just your friends and your acquaintances. If I remember correctly, if it was Rabbi Barawine, he said that from that point on, he always made sure, not only to the toll person, but every person he greeted, to greet them with a smile. There's a whole world behind that person, whether you know them or you don't know them. The person jogging down your block, just say hello. Not in a creepy way, right? but, but to just be friendly, right? The grocery cashier, the banker, the, the bank teller, right? We have so many opportunities every single day 
to check in with another person to see how they are doing, to check in with another person and to greet them with a smile. The bottom line is we learn to pay attention and to inspire our own heart, right? We will realize that the more we practice, the more our heart fills with joy, the more our heart fills with joy and the joy of the person whom we greet, right? All of this is possible when we get out of ourselves. We know that the Torah tells us that what does it mean to be a giver? It means to be a noten. And the Torah refers to it in several different ways, but the word is vinatnu, is, and the Jewish people gave, right? The Jewish people gave, and that's a palindrome. A palindrome is that it can be re- written both ways. When you give, you get so much back in, re- in return. It, re- it reciprocates in return. So when a person focuses on giving, and that shouldn't be the reason why, but don't ever think that when you give, you don't get back. When you give, you get back. There's no such thing as it being a one-way street. I want to share with you an amazing story. It's probably one of my favorite stories, and it really it, it sends a shudder through your spine when you hear this story because it really gives you an indication of the power of thinking about other people. So I know this story because I heard it from the son of the individual this happened to. This happened to Rabbi Jacobson, who lived in Beryakov. And Beryakov is a village where my father grew up, uh, there were only three or four religious families in the entire village. Uh, there was the yeshiva, where my grandfather ran the yeshiva. And there was the seminary, which Rabbi Jacobson, Rabbi Jacobson ran. He had a seminary, a girls' seminary. And there was a community, right? And there were many people who lived in the community. It was, a, again, not a very big one. It was known that there were two families that were in a feud, in such a major fight that they didn't talk to each other. It's like almost like when I was living prior to Houston, I lived in a different community in Connecticut, and I asked them, I had, you know, I was like, I'm a really smart guy, okay? I'm really, really smart because if you do the math, if one shul has five people and the other shul has six people and the other shul has seven people and you put them all together, you'll have like a really nice minion. But if each one stays separate, right, then you're not going to have a minion, right? It's a big problem, right? So I, I came up with this brilliant, genius idea, like, right, let's put everyone together and we'll have a nice minion. And I remember an individual, I, I brought this up, this idea up to, he says, are you crazy? He says, if I walk into that shoe, my father would turn over in his grave, he said to me. My father would turn over in his grave, he said. This individual said, I said, Wow. I wonder what what they did so terribly to your father that, you know, and he says, me going to that shul? Are you crazy? So it turned out after talking to this individual a little bit longer, he had no idea what the issue was. All he knew was his father didn't, so he didn't. People get caught up with this nonsense. People get caught up with things that like limits them and they can't. So this individual, this rabbi, Rabbi Jacobson in Beriakov, knew about these two families who were in a feud and they didn't talk to each other. Okay. Rabbi, Rabbi Jacobson, his, I believe it was his daughter who gave birth to a stillborn baby. And stillborn baby is still, you have a mitzvah to bury the baby and to have a proper funeral. So what happened was is that before they had the funeral, Rabbi Jacobson, not thinking about himself, not thinking about his own pain, was thinking about what mitzvah can he do here? 
See, he called up these two parties and he says to the one, he says, listen, I don't know if you know this, but my, I, I just had a, a stillborn grandchild born and I need you to come to my house immediately. Oh my goodness. Wow. Calls him to the house. The other family he calls up as well. He says, I don't know if you know this, but I had a stillborn grandchild born. I need you to come to my house immediately. And they, of course, both get into their cars or however they get to the, they get to the rabbi's house seeing each other right by the front door, not, not understanding why the rabbi even both called them both there. Doesn't the rabbi know that we are in a feud and we don't talk to each other? And the rabbi walks out of the house holding this lifeless baby in front of both of them. And he says to them, listen, this child came to the world and has no merits. It didn't do any mitzvah, nothing. It's going back to its creator without a single mitzvah being performed. He says, I want the two of you to make peace in this baby's merit. And that be its mitzvah that it came to this world for. And indeed they did. That is a greatness. That someone who in a time of such terrible tragedy, of such pain, all he can think about is how can I make peace between other people? The only thing that can concern him is about how can I use this as an opportunity to inspire other people, to bring other people closer, to think beyond myself. And that was Rabbi Jacobson. His whole life was dedicated to doing things for other people, to the point where his children are infected with the disease of giving. I walked into his son's house one time. I needed some of his help or something. And I remember he sits me down by the dining room table and didn't let me leave till I ate until I drank. I said, I'm not hungry. You have to eat. Right? You came to my house, you need to eat, you need to drink. And then he tells his daughter, he says to her in her ear, he says, he says something, right? She runs out of the room and she comes back with a box. He says, Here, this is for you. I said, What do you, what, what's this? I, I came, I need you, I need I needed your help for something. What are you giving? He says, No, you don't leave my house without a gift. Right? And in the box was a gift of, of, of a bunch of books sitting here on my shelf, one of these, one of these sets of books. Right? He did not let me leave his house till I ate, till I drank, and I took a gift. These are the children of such a great man. All they knew their entire life is how do we give to other people? It's part of their being. They can't see someone and not give them something. And anybody who knows this entire family knows this about them. This is their, like, I don't call it a disease because it's such a great thing. Right? But this is their thing. They have learned from their father what it means to think about another person and to fully commit themselves to giving to another person. So, Chesed, where does Chesed begin? I remember I was once talking to my rabbi on the phone many, many years ago, and he said to me, Okay, well, I want to start talking to you about the idea of kindness. He says, Where is the most important place for you to do kindness? I said, Immediately, I said, Home. He says, I'm surprised that you're saying that because every single person I ask that he says doesn't answer that. They say with your neighbor, with your friend, with your community. So it's exactly the right answer. Chesed, kindness begins at home. Whether it's with your spouse, whether it's with your parents, if you're fortunate to have them, or it's your children, right? Kindness begins at home. Think of a way to do acts of kindness in your home. Whether that means preparing dinner for your wife or, or husband, whether it means treating your child 
thinking about what your child needs, what's your child, what's your child's challenge, what's your spouse's challenge? What are they facing at this moment? What do they need? Maybe they need a hug, maybe they need a word of encouragement, a pat on the back. What do they need? Think about it. Get out of our own skin and get into someone else's world. What do they need now? And faces, you know what a face is? In Hebrew, the face is called panim. Panim means face or punim, right? In Yiddish there, that's the, I, the, the, right? You know what that word means really in Hebrew? It also means the word pnim, which means inside, internal. Because your face, your panim, shows what's pnim, what's inside. You want to see what's going on in a person? Look at their face. You can only fake that much. Makeup can only cover up that much. If a person is truly concerned, worried, sad, it says it on the face. Look at someone's face. Look at what's going on inside of them. It's the window to their world. And you can see what's going on. You see someone worried. Give them a word of encouragement. Ask them what's going on. How do you know that I'm, that I'm worried? How do you know that I'm upset? Well, it's written all over you. You don't need to say that, right? But you can say, I, I can sense that you're upset. Let's talk about it. Maybe there's something I can help. Maybe there's something I can listen. Or maybe there's something I can listen. Maybe I can just be there to listen. Okay? That's kindness. Kindness is going beyond ourself. Kindness is not thinking about the me. It's going beyond ourself. We see the Torah gives us so many indications of this mitzvah of kindness. Because the Torah tells us, for example, that we should not take revenge and we should not bear a grudge. Right? What is do not take revenge? That means that if, if I go to your house and I say, hey, can I borrow a, a can I borrow some eggs? Give a little, a little, uh, you know, a little salt. I ran out of salt. You might, right? How much? Half a cup. Right? No, I'm sorry. I can't. I don't lend. I don't lend out things. I don't lend out things. The next day they come to you and they ask you for for half a dozen eggs. So what would be do not take revenge? Don't take revenge. Oh, you didn't lend me. I'm not going to lend you. Okay? That you're not allowed to. The Torah says you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to take revenge. But what is don't bear a grudge? Don't bear a grudge is the following. Don't say the following. You see, I want to tell you something. You didn't lend me yesterday when I came to ask you. But I'm going to lend you. Because I'm not like you. Okay? That's don't bear a grudge. Don't bear a grudge. So why does the Torah tell us not to do that? Why does the Torah? The Torah is telling us not only you should loan it, give it, don't take revenge, and you should lend them what they need, but don't throw in the swipe. You don't have to throw in the bitter words. You don't have to say that because you don't know what the other person is experiencing. You don't know what the other person's challenge is. And that's what the Torah is teaching us. The Torah is teaching us to have sensitivity for other people. The Torah is teaching us to be aware and alert to what another person is experiencing. And the other person may be facing a challenge, which is why they're limited. They may be having concerns. Uh-oh, what am I going to do if I don't have enough salt or sugar for my cake that I'm supposed to make? Right there. Don't hold it against them. Again, we said, With grace, with kindness, and with compassion. It's not just do the act of kindness. 
Do it in a way that's loving. Do it in a way that's, that'll be palatable. Look for an opportunity to give. I remember when I was in yeshiva, I, I was once in a down. I was in a down mood. I needed someone to talk to. I needed someone to just, you know, talk things out. And I saw one of my friends. He passes by me and he says, how are you? I was like, oh, a great opportunity to say something. So I'm like, and he just continued walking. And I learned from that experience how important it is to not just say it from the lips and out. If you ask someone, how are you? It's, a, it's not just, hey, hello. It's how are you? I'm asking you a question. I'm inquiring about how things are going by you. And that's opening up a responsibility that if something is not going well, then maybe I'll be here to listen. Maybe I'll be here to talk. Right? If you're not interested in talking, just say, hey, hi. Right? You don't need to start talking. You didn't. But if you ask, how are you, then care about how are you. Okay? We have to break these selfish habits, right? Get out of our comfort zone, right? We have to teach our children to give, right? When we have people knocking on the door here for charity from various places of the world, for institutions, for yeshivas, for schools, for, for, uh, for uh, um, soup kitchens. We have many people coming all the time. It's been less frequent than sad since COVID has been totally locking down. So it's been a little bit more difficult to have these opportunities. You have to give it online. But many times I'll give a check to my children or cash to my children so that they give it to the poor person. I want them to learn to give. I want them to have the practice of being a giver. Practice. It's, an ex- it's, it's, it's a muscle that we need to exercise. Be a giver. The Rambam tells us that if you have the opportunity to give $100 in one bill or to give 100 single dollar bills, give 100 single dollar bills. Because what you're doing is you're exercising that muscle, giving 100. Every time you give, you're exercising that muscle. You're, you're becoming a giver. It's the same $100. What's the big deal? But you have the opportunity to give more times. And that's what we're trying. We're trying to exercise our muscle of being a giver, not a taker. Okay? Learn to love giving. Practice giving. Even giving for no reason. Why? Just because. I want to practice. I want to build this muscle to become a, a, a muscle man when it comes to giving, where my muscles are, are powerful, are, are strong. Many times people give to institutions that they benefit from, institutions that they enjoy. I and mean, it's a good thing, right? But I think part of this exercise is to try to give to an institution that you have zero benefit from. You know why? Just because I need to give without getting. If I'm able to give to a synagogue that's not my synagogue, that's giving without getting back. If I'm able to give to an institution that I don't go to visit, right? You know, it doesn't have to be a large sum. It doesn't have to be something so incredibly meaningful, right? But just something so that I can practice giving without receiving, just for the sake of giving. I want to share with you a story that I, I, I don't know if I shared the story in this class before, but it's a story that happened. It's a true story. I met with an individual. This was here in Houston shortly after I moved here. I met someone. And he says, who are you? I said, that said, I said to him who I was. And he says to me, I have to tell you an amazing story. He says, I know your father for many, many years. He says, when I used to come, when you were a little, little child, I used to come and I used to stay in your house in New York by your parents. He said, I didn't know who your parents were. But someone said, if you need a place to stay, you can call up the Wolbies. They'll always have someone over. It's amazing because I'll tell you how true this is. I had someone come knock here on my door and here in Houston. 
And he says to me, do you know anybody in Muncie? He says, I'm heading to Muncie straight from Houston, and I need a place to stay. I said, you can call my parents. It's now 10 years later. And every time he comes to you, he says, you have a regards from your parents. He says, whenever I'm in Muncie, I stay by your parents, right? right? So a total stranger. I had no idea, right? But it's an open home. My parents had that. We have that. We try to, to facilitate an open home uh, when people are in need or people are, are, are stuck, right? They need a place. They're, they're in Houston. Who am I going to stay by, right? So when people are in Muncie, they go to my parents. So this individual started getting to know my parents after every year coming to collect for his institution. So um, one year, my father, and he never, he never considered asking my father because, you know, my parents are very modest people and they didn't have great means. But one time my father goes over to him and gives him a very, very large contribution. Randomly, unsolicited, a very large donation. And my father said to him as a disclaimer, a couple of things. Number one is I don't want my name anywhere. I don't want you to share with anyone that I gave you this money. And don't ever ask me for this kind of money in, in the future. Okay, it's a one-off gift. So the individual inquired and asked them why. He says, I'll tell you. He says, I promised the Almighty that if a certain deal goes through, I'm going to give this and this amount of charity. And I was thinking, what type of charity should I give it to? He says, if I give it to my son's yeshiva, so the next dinner they have, who are they going to honor? They get a nice big fat check, right? They're going to honor me. If I give it to my synagogue, they're going to honor me. They're going to say, oh, they're going to start giving me an aliyah. They'll start giving me honors. They'll start giving me things because they just got this large sum of money. He says, but if no, if I give it to an institution like yours, which I don't ever benefit, I'll never ever benefit because I don't live in your country. I don't live in Israel. I don't live where you live. I don't have children who are in the age group that you service, right? And I'll never benefit from your institution, right? I want to give it to Hashem. I don't want to give it to something I'll get anything in return from. So I'm begging you two things. Number one is this is a one-off gift because I don't have these kinds of resources. But number two is I don't want anyone to know about it. I don't want to get anything in return. I don't want anything in return. So I heard this story. It was a Friday night. And I was like, wow. And immediately after Shabbos, I called my father. And I said to my father, I heard this story. He says, who told you this story? I, I, nobody's supposed to know about the story, right? He was very upset with the story. Now, the person who told me the story figured, you know, it's 10 years, 20 years later. It's not a big deal, right? My father was very upset that someone knew. But I was happy that I found out about the story. Because that's a story of true giving. That's a story of true kindness where we give because we don't want anything in return. Right, and that is such an incredible, an incredible idea of what it means to be a giver. To be a giver. So there's so many more stories to talk about. Oh, oh wow! I'm so excited. Okay, so let's continue here as follows. It says in the uh, Talmud. So I'll just share with you. We mentioned about giving kindness at home. Okay, and we'll, we'll get to the Talmud piece in a second. Giving, giving at home. So I'll tell you an amazing thing. My rabbi of blessed memory, Rabbi Beryl Eisenstein, Zechat Tzadik Levracha. So every time I called him, I was very close with him, and I'd, I'd speak to him regularly. Every time I called him, he asked me the same question. He'd ask me, how are you? And then he would ask me a very peculiar question. And he would say, do you wake up for your children at night? And I'd say, yes, of course, Rabbi. He'd say, okay, great, now how are you? It's like every time there's like this, Everything going okay? Do you wake up for your children? Okay, now tell me how are you. 
So I remember I asked my Rebbe, I said, Rebbe, every time you ask me how I'm doing, you ask me also, do I wake up for my children? He says, because if you don't wake up for your children, you're not my student. He says, my students wake up for their children at night. He says, you know what? Your wife works hard all day. She has to feed the child. Great. But you know what you could do? You can get the child from his crib and bring him to your wife. He says, that's the very least that you can do. You wake up for your child. You bring him so that she can feed him in the middle of the night. Right? That's what my students need to do. And that's why I verify every time I talk to my students, do you wake up? If you don't wake up for your students in the middle of the night, I have nothing to talk to you about. Right? That is where kindness begins at home. Kindness begins at home. And I do that still today. Last night, my daughter woke up. My daughter, my, you know, Hadassah, right? She woke up, uh, you know, in the middle of the night. I go and get her. I bring her. Take care of her. Whatever she needs. She needs a change diaper. That's my job. Right? It's difficult to do kindness at home. But we have to practice. Practice being a person who is completely in the realm of what can I do for someone else? And that someone else is my spouse, it's my children, it's everyone around me. You know, Abraham had a tent, and the tent was open on all four sides, always looking to do acts of kindness. But who do you think the number one kindness was with? His wife, Sarah, right? Ensuring that Sarah was happy, ensuring that Sarah was able to do whatever she needed, that she had what she needed in the terms of love, in terms of affection, in terms, it says, what did, what, did, what did Abraham do when his wife died? He cried for her because this was the love of his life, right? He loved her. What does love mean? Love means to give. The more you give, the more you love. You ask any parent who has children and who has a child who has special needs of any sort. Special needs doesn't mean that they're uh, handicapped. It means special needs. One has an issue with this, another has an issue with that, and they have to spend more time with that child. I guarantee you ask that parent, and the parent loves that child more than the other children. You know why? Because they had to give more to that child. And the more you give, the more you love. People ask about marriage. How do you keep marriage with love? How do you keep marriage with a passion after 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years? 60 years. I spoke to an individual, a friend of mine, who told me he's celebrating uh, his 59th wedding anniversary. And he says, I'm more in love now than ever before. He said, since COVID-19, he says, I've only been spending time with my wife. And I realize now how much I love her. I realize now how much I can give to her. The more you give, the more you love. With your children, it's the same thing. People think that love is when I get. No, love is when you give. So the Talmud says, the Talmud says in Tractate Shabbat 151, it says, The more you have mercy on another, the more the heavens have mercy on you. It's the same idea. The more you give to others, the more you'll receive. You'll receive it in love. You'll receive it in, in a feeling of joy, a feeling of fulfillment. Right, we aspire to emulate God. God is Kel Rahum, a merciful God, a compassionate God. That's what we need to be a merciful, compassionate person. The idea here that we need to always be open to the needs of another person, not fully consumed in myself. When we have a conversation with another person, not to be thinking about what I'm going to say, 
I'm thinking of my next line. I'm thinking of my next story, of my next word, but rather to think about what the other person wants to express, what the other person needs to share. What are the store, What is going on in another person's life? Not only to be reflecting on my experience, but let's open up ourselves up to someone else's experience, right? And this is such an important idea to any person who is interested in growing in relationships, whether it's the relationship of a person you're committed to already in marriage or a person you're not yet committed to, a person you want to date, a person you want to marry. Guess what? If you're not going to show the proper interest, if you're not going to show that desire to hear from them, then it's not going to build the relationship appropriately. And it's not, it's not going to be fruitful. With the more we are able to open ourselves up, the more we are able to share an interest in the other person. That's that's a form of giving. Giving is not only buying a bar of chocolate and buying flowers. Yeah, that's chivalry. That's nice. That's that's important as well. But giving of our time, giving of our listening, giving of, our, of the other person to feel that someone else hears them out. Someone else feels what they're feeling and experiencing and let them talk. We just spoke about it in the in the 48 Ways. Right, the forty-eight ways. One of the things, the first way we spoke about was to study. The second one was to listen. The second most important ingredient for life is to be listening. To listen. The art of listening is not an easy one. It's one that takes a lot of work, a lot of effort to listen to what someone else is saying, not just their words, uh huh, uh huh, and think about what we're spitting out, but rather to take it in. What are they experiencing? And then to talk it out. What does it mean to talk about? To crystallize those ideas. To not just spit out, oh, this is my thing in response. Oh, so you said, I heard something. Let me, let me inquire further. And actually this week we're going to be talking about putting things into our heart. So when someone talks and we crystallize those ideas, whether ideas, whether, by the way, if you're learning something new, you're learning, you listen to your to the to professor, then you crystallize the ideas, you talk it out with someone, but then you got to put it into action. You got to put it into your heart. When you talk to a friend and they say something, one second, did you mean that? You understand? Now put it into your heart. What does that mean about that person? Does that person actually feel that way? That's terrible if someone feels that way. Let me help them. Let me inquire how I can be of assistance. So my dear friends, let's utilize these Unbelievable opportunities called life, right? Days, every day we have is an opportunity. Every single minute of life is an opportunity to magnify the world with the brightness of giving. Every single day we have that opportunity, right? Let's make this world so much greater by opening up ourselves, not just being self-consumed, what I want, I'm hungry. But guess what? Start with the easy. If you're hungry, likely someone else around you is hungry as well. Ask them, are you hungry? Can I make for you? Can I make lunch for you? What can I prepare for you? You're thirsty? I know I'm thirsty, right? That's the easiest way, the lowest level. The lowest level of giving is reflecting from yourself. The next level would be, I'm not thirsty, but maybe you are. Maybe think beyond ourselves, okay? And we spoke about many other other levels. Hopefully, Hashem will help us that we'll become people of true kindness, just like our forefather, Abraham was the paramount example of human kindness. And God willing, if the Almighty will help us attain that great level.